0: in agriculture it's not just the nutrition of the animal it's now let's look at like what's happening to the plant and then what's happening to the soil but for some reason it, it just it draws i suppose it just draws some people i suppose it's like being a chef or being a nurse or a doctor like i suppose you can't explain it but for some reason there's this internal passion that you just you just love it
1: this is the crackling i'm anthony Huckstep. Linda Hagen and her husband Jason left their careers on the land to take the reins of a family farm. Although they are farming pigs, the Hagans consider themselves soil farmers who run pigs across the property to help regenerate the land to create a closed loop system. They can grow as much of the food as they can for the pigs and in turn the pigs help aerate and turn the soil. It's an amazing model of biodiversity and healthy land management. Belinda, you're based in Central Victoria. Tell us a little bit about the region and why it's great for what you're doing.
0: Uh, well, we moved back to the my husband's family farm, so I suppose maybe choosing the actual location uh, probably you know was a little bit out of our hands. Um, but you know, being so central to everything, an hour from Melbourne, you know, less than an hour to Bendigo. Um, we found that that's been a real advantage to the business. So central for customer base um, and also, you know, accessing um, whether it's abattoirs or butchers and things like that. So we've always found that that's been um, quite an advantage. Um, from the climate perspective of choosing the farm for free range pigs, possibly it didn't tick all the boxes. You know, we're over the divide, which was always um, classified as a, you know, can get a bit hot um, we have a sandy soil type here with granitic sand. So, um, you know, we'll talk about the adaption of what we've had to do because wallows weren't going to work and then the way we wanted to farm them anyway. So there's been a few challenges, but at the same point too, I suppose it's lovely to be the third generation um, farming on this land uh, we've now purchased the, f- um, the farm off the family so we're in control of our own destiny so and we've got kids coming through so you know I suppose there's that sort of um, historical and sentimental value as well.
1: Tell us about that, that move to the, to the country what triggered it and, and what was it like?
0: Um, so we'd both, we both had gone off and, and worked in agriculture. Um, from we, Jason and I didn't meet till we were in our sort of late 20s. Um, but uh, we'd both worked in agriculture and professional careers and Jason in a lot of farm management. Um, so the decision to come back to the family farm was probably a big step um, but it had a lot to do with sort of ageing parents and needing to be a bit more of a support role there as well. I suppose there was that tie for Jason to want to come back here and and have a go. Um, And I can say that, you know, the first few years um, it wasn't as straightforward um, and it sort of, we had to take a gamble on ourselves um, and and particularly starting free range pigs. I remember having a discussion where <laughs> we had a very big bank and, and we, we'd done a lot of budgets and, and, you know, they pretty much laughed at us and, and we walked away and, and Jason and I looking at each other going – and, it you know, it had a, a fairly big agribusiness base and and we were a bit like, we, we haven't got our rosy-coloured glasses on, have we? Like, we can do this. And we actually backed ourselves. We owned a a little parcel of land and a house, and we re- refinanced that and, and backed ourselves for the first few years. So um, actually, sort of, I suppose, prove to prove to ourselves, but also prove to the to the lending fire um institutions that we, we could actually do it. And and you know, the first couple of years are pretty hard. Like you. You know, you've got like a nine-month lag of, you know, the pig that you mate today until you actually sell her progeny. So, you see, know, there's a lot of there's a lot of expenses um, and overheads. You know that you've got to work out how to pay when you actually don't have a, an actual income. So, um, but yeah, we've been lucky. You know, we've had two young kids now, and and you know we we've we're very much tied to here, and and it's there is a lot of history, um, as in Jason's grandfather was a butcher here. I um, owned a Hagen family butcher shop here in Tubrac and a hundred years on we've started butchering. So you know it doesn't make you make those business decisions but it, it, it does have those sort of nice warm emotional feelings particularly for the family. <laughs> um, I think there was a few phone calls. I think at the start we were both doing part-time off the farm. Uh, I think we'd worked out that I was doing three days a week and Jason was doing three days a week and they didn't overlap so we could try and, you know, really run the business. And I think I remember one day getting a four-wheeler bogged and a trailer bogged and then getting the ute bogged and getting everything bogged and ringing Jason going with sort of some colourful language of saying that this, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. But um, I suppose... You know, and we've always been very hands on. So progressing with it, um, there's been yeah, it's certainly been challenges and been colourful moments. But um, I think we're very lucky. We we created a vision board, and um, we really sat down and I suppose to leave professional careers and that certainty of income and all the, you know, maybe the other bonuses that come with that of you know four weeks annual leave and maybe weekends off, et cetera, to actually start your own business seven days a week, um, not, as I say, really juggling um, a lot of expenses to start. It was a pretty big leap, and for us to actually make sure being husband and wife um, and business partners, to make sure that we're on the same page was – really important to us. So, we actually sat down and after I'd, I'd gone off and um, uh, was very lucky to be involved in a what's called Inspiring Farming Women. It was a course run by Kathy McGowan and, and a few other facilitators and it, the timing of it was perfect for our beginning because there was a lot to do with um, assessing your morals and values and making sure that your business and your life you know portrays that. So, um, so we really sat down and created this vision board of what we wanted our future to look like together. Um, and many aspects of that are probably our, our, are our business. And, um, and we always just kept reflecting back to that. It was like, well, if that's the dream and that's the vision, are we, are we there? Or if we're not there, it's not set in concrete, it's no one else's vision besides Jason and mine, that it's okay to change that. And I think, as a couple, there was some times that we really needed to sit back down and look at that vision and say, "Are we? Is this is what is this what we want still?" So it's like coming to that fork in the road and 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 making sure that you're both heading in the right direction. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. I mean, I think we're very blessed that we do majority of the time get along and and pretty much you know we always laugh and say sometimes we're not on the same page hopefully we're in the same chapter and hopefully we're in the same book (laughs) but um but and you know it's and in among that as I say two children coming on as well that was in our vision um, and probably wasn't quite going to plan either, but at the same point too, we had to make some, some decisions on the business because I became a, a labor unit that wasn't as physical in the business um, for a couple of years with the, with, with the little babies and toddlers. So um, so yeah, the juggling that, we always just had to make sure that we, that we were together with the same vision.
1: You mentioned some issues with the the soil. Tell us a bit about, you know, what they were and and what you've done and the important role that soil plays for the pigs and what you do.
0: So when we first started, I think we were just so focused on free-range pigs and, you know, wanting to um, have those aspects of better quality of life and the animal welfare. And we probably hadn't really come up with a system... we we, we were just starting out we were just putting pigs in paddocks and and trying to make sure that we were sort of you know had some ground cover and things like that we didn't really still understand the true advantage of of where we were with with the soil and as our time had developed we you know you start reading and researching and we questioned a lot about our food industry and um we sort of started to become really focused on that. Well, it it starts from the ground up. We we've got to really look at our like what's going on with our soil and what's happening with our plants, and then how that involves in in our animals and and you know and pigs are not traditionally um you know animals that take a lot of nutrition from um from plants um, you know they're, they're similar to you and I and in our, in our, our nutrition aspects so we still knew we had to supplementary feed them and that's another question because I've got an animal nutrition background but we just knew that we needed to sort of start a bit like building a house if you've got really bad foundations it doesn't matter how nice the house looks it probably ends up starting to have problems down the track so that's we sort of took it back a step and and we as I say we were really researching a lot about you know food systems and and more you know different types of agricultural practices which nowadays is known as regenerative agriculture but probably when we sort of started out it really didn't have a term and 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 sustainability was talked about but you know we sort of kept going well doesn't sustain mean just sort of staying put and we're like well we can't stay put this farms it had been leased for a number of years and and it had become quite depleted and and being that it is a granitic sand, as I say, um, it didn't have a lot of topsoil. It really had a very short growing season um, and it really just had been set-stocked for so long that um, it really just, you know, grew a lot of onion weed and a lot of gateweed. And, and and again, it's that we didn't perceive them as weeds. We started to then, started to question like, well, why are these plants growing? They're still a plant. it's our It's our human nature of going well it's it's the wrong quality of plant but why is the ground growing it well the ground was growing it because it needed ground cover or it was compacted or it you know it didn't have enough organic matter and therefore water holding capacity so we've started really probably in the last six years so we've been going 12 years so in the last six seven years we've really become focused on being soil farmers and we, our terms are we. We don't want to sell you our soil. We're trying to build it, but we, our byproduct is our pork. So um, we're using pigs in that management system, and we could use other animals as well. We've we've chosen pigs, and um, and there's a you know a really interesting story of why Jason and I chose pigs.
1: Well, let's let's dive in there. Why did why did you choose pigs?
0: Well, we met in we met in the pig industry. Um, we were both. Um, single people in in agriculture, Um, had a very mutual friend. He set us up on a blind date. And um, we we met, and it's always a laugh. As in, we have a love for pigs, and and it formed it formed our love. So, um, so yes, people. When we even got married, there was um, a couple of little pigs on the on the wedding cake, and and you know it was a bit of a laugh. The lady at the reception centre got to know us as the as the pork people, the pig people, and and yeah. So it's just always been a passion of ours, and we you know neither of us grew up. Um, involved in the industry I ended up sort of a bit by default in there uh, with my nutrition and Jason um, has a really big passion and and skill base working with livestock and um, he spent a period of time working at Western Plains Pork with Tim and Judy Crow and he'd worked for them previously and and because he loves working with livestock pigs are just an amazing animal so yeah we we just always knew that pigs were going to be um, somehow in our in our future.
1: Do you have any stories about what it's like working with pigs and what you've learnt from them?
0: Um, they're very inquisitive, very intelligent animals. Um, they have such a great memory base. So for us, um, um, us moving them regularly, like once a week, we're moving them uh, into uh, like a new area. So they've got fresh ground. Um, or, we're, you know, if we're drafting them um, to be selecting them to, um, for market, the, as soon as we start doing all those processes, giving them the pigs, the, you know, a low-stress stock handling and, and positive handling, they remember those experiences and they, they just work so well for you. So everyone that works here has to have that mindset um, and, you know, it, it just they're very intelligent to, to work within that system. I think some of the first things we noticed, the Berkshires were a little bit different than than the domestic breeds that we'd come from. So that was um, very much more of a maternal um, breed. So very good mums can get a little bit uh, protective at times. Um, And that's, you know, something we've got to teach our staff and and you're always a bit aware of. Um, But, yeah, really good mums, um, just they're just lovely pigs. Oh, and one of the first experiences, sorry, I just, um, I remember having, uh, so a young female um, that hasn't had babies before is called a gilt. And uh, we had some gilts coming through our farrowing system. So that's where, of course, where they're, they're birthing. And, you know, it was just amazing to see that these animals have got really no idea um, of what's going on, or I suppose all these hormones are floating around in their body. And the next minute, they're, they're realising that they're going to be birthing soon. And, off they are collecting, you know, material from the paddock to make their nest, and it was just like this moment of, oh my God, that's just nature, it's so beautiful. Like she, she probably has no idea what's going on to her body, but she knows that she's got to do this. She knows that she's got to make a nest, and. And even just last week um i was up the paddock last week with a a new staff member and he's uh, one of our older girls and here she is collecting collecting nesting material and we provide them straw it's not that they have to do that but you know it's it's nature um the animal being given the ability to express itself it's just it is a beautiful thing to see
1: what lured you to a career in food
0: well, I don't think we actually realised <laughs> when you're farmers and you're involved in agriculture. I think sometimes you can get a little bit blasé and forget that you're actually producing food. That might sound a little bit silly, but I think you know, particularly in our careers of previously, was that you sold the you sold the pig or you you sold the the steer or the wet. Um, you know, you sold them off, and you probably didn't think maybe about that next step. And for us, and all of a sudden, we become pork producers, and and, and as I said, be looking at that sort of food system, and then especially when we started supplying restaurants and then the farmers' markets, it was like being exposed to you know the food safety standards and the food the regulations there, and then you know retail again, a lot of farmers you know and and never um, never sort of in that uh, space. I mean, yes, more commonly nowadays, but. Let's go back, sort of, 20 years ago. Um, so yeah, that was quite an eye opener for Jason and I to realise that we are producing a food and we're selling that food to direct to a customer. And as I say, the next minute, becoming involved in the retail aspect. So there was a few parts of the business that we were very I won't say foreign to us, but probably didn't come naturally and sometimes it was always nicer to be up the paddock working with the animals <laughs> than, <laughs> than, you know th- those aspects can feel quite daunting I think particularly when you start but now uh, so two years ago um, we had our butchering facility licensed on our farm uh, so the animals or the pigs still go away to be slaughtered and they come back as whole carcasses and we have a, a full-time butcher employed And um, so we're really in control of that now. And it's just been a marvellous step. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, no, you know, seek professional when professional's required. I'm not an accountant. I don't do my own tax return. I'm not a butcher. I'm, you know, I utilise a butcher. But we always were sort of a bit of an add-on. We had great relationships that the people were contract butchering for us. you sometimes become not the focus of their business and that is perfectly fine because that's not why they started their businesses so we felt like we needed to take that leap again um, that leap of faith and to be honest with you the banks again were very uh, hesitant so we we managed ourselves differently with finance and um and yeah we built a we think a pretty flash facility and and um attracted a, a really great skilled butcher and and then we spent um, six months just butchering the raw pork and then we put in a smokehouse. So um, we've been smoking, basically making all of our products the last 18 months or so. Um, and it's amazing the different products that you can start to make from that nose to tail concept. So that's been really exciting.
1: Take us through the average day on the farm. What's life like for the pigs?
0: For the pigs or the people? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the pigs, I, I feel like they, um, well, they pretty much just eat, sleep and play and run around and, you know, they, they, I think we give them such great quality of life and it is really interesting the days that you're up there and you can notice a group of pigs and how they do play with each other. It's quite hilarious. And sometimes we can, because our farrowing paddocks, everything's um, electric, uh, fencing but the, the the little piglets can get out and it's quite funny sometimes you're going to have 100 little piglets running up and down the roads playing with each other and, and, and all visitors sort of say to us oh my gosh and it's like no they don't go too far from mum it's as they it's it's very similar to Having children, it's all of a sudden at the playground they'll never leave leave your side, and as they start to get older, they start to get more game. and and there's always one of those ones that's very ambitious and climbing the you know the the climbing frame before everyone else. Well, here there's the same sort of thing that some of the piglets are are very ambitious and head off, and but they always come back to mum. But as 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 staff and working with them, um, so you know it's pretty much we feed first thing in the morning. So. Um, all our sows are still hand-fed um, and that gives us the advantage. We feel it gives us an advantage of that, we're, that observation, so particularly our, our, our lactating sows that have got piglets on them. You're seeing them every day, you're making sure that piglets are looking, that they're feeding well and healthy um, and we're making sure the sow's milking well and eating and drinking. So those aspects, if you weren't literally walking in the paddock with buckets to feed them, you'd still have to do that aspect anyway, so we sort of go, Well let we'll do we'll, we'll do both. Um our dry sows, so therefore our sows that are not milking and and they're pregnant or, or hopefully in the midst of, of sorting that out. And some of them live in groups with boars and things, so we still hand feed them. Um and that, that's, you know, I think that interaction that you get with them every day, that little scratch that you give them behind the ear, um, them seeing people every day, there is no sense of fear at all. Um, they're just very, usually very inquisitive. Um, we have a lot of our growers um, on feeders, so they're filled a couple of times a week. And then, as I say, we're moving them usually once a week. Um, so they may not see a person for that long or every day um but you're generally walking in their paddock to make sure that you know all the water's working properly so you know again and the feeders um sometimes need scraping particularly when it's been wet to make sure they're not blocked so there's sort of that care and maintenance that goes on and then then there's packing up fences and setting up fences and fair bit of tractor work and strawing um and then Hopefully, we find some time to look at management. So, therefore, we we're looking at how our girls are producing. Um, you know, whether we're selecting any young females to come like gilts back into the farm. Um, and then, because if we do the direct marketing, there's there's always a lot of admin of invoicing and paying bills. And and then there's hopefully promotion and marketing. Um, and I can't say that we're the best at that, but we we try. And and that's been the funny thing, I think teaching our customer base is that I think I had a little note on our website a long time ago is that we're not IT gurus believe me like you know we're farmers we're good at farming and all these other aspects you can employ and have lots of businesses contracted but you really do learn a lot about it if you do it yourself and I think as a small business starting out financially we, we we had to do it ourselves um now whether we pass it on or not, you know, probably that comes to back to whether that sense of control and and I think we like that authenticity that we do do most of it ourselves. Um, again, whether we're doing it efficiently and we you know, there are probably other people out there more skilled, but you know, I think it, it gives us our our, our our honest and transparency aspect of dealing with our customers, they're dealing with us. So
1: Nutrition is um, your expertise. Talk to me about the diet and and how you approach that. Is is the end product um, part of the equation or the life on the farm? How do you um, create the, the best diet for your pigs?
0: So we had questioned a lot about um, the food, the food we eat before when when we were starting the business of wondering why you know was so much allergies and cancer you know like started to question a lot of things and and because I had a lot of inside background to what was being put into our food systems you know some I you know started to sort of go well we want to do things different so we designed a diet when we first started and and I'm probably from a nutritionist perspective I'm probably one of those painful customers now (laughs) that says, I don't want um, any genetically modified products. So we don't use any uh, US uh, soybean meal. We don't use any canola meal in, that's grown in Australia because it's genetically modified now. Um, we can't claim that we're GMO free um, because some of the amino acids that we use to help still supplement the diet may be grown on substrates. So we we try to be as honest and transparent with our customer space saying that, well, we try, you know, we try our hardest, but it's never going to be a declaration that we're free of this or we're free of that. We may be like 99.9%, but there may always be a chance. So I was really adamant of that and, and that it's probably all stemmed back to again these morals and values of what we wanted our business to portray um, we use uh, try to use a lot of uh, natural um, additives. So we're using natural acidifiers and natural herbs to help with gut health. And that's probably one of the big things that happened in my light bulb moment of a nutritionist, of when we started feeding these old breed pigs of how different they were. And, you know, I'd come from this nutrition background of having – you know, multiple diets, seven, eight diets across a farm or, you know, a piggery to get the best potential out of those, those animals. And, and I, I still remember here, um, when we first came back here and I got involved in a local netball club and one of the dealing with some teenagers and I said, oh, what do you do, Belinda? And I said, oh, I'm a nutritionist, an animal nutritionist. So I looked at me like, what's that? And I'm like, so I had to work out how to explain it to people. And it was one of these things I went, it's we, you know, if you're an athlete, you're an Olympian, do you think you have a dietitian that helps them work out their diet to get the best performance to, you know, like, yeah. And I'm like, right. So we expect our dairy cows to produce the best quality milk and look after themselves and get back in calf and, you know, and live for multiple years in the farm. So I said, we're feeding these animals like Olympians, the scary thing is they're running on a knife edge. One thing tips them over and they generally potentially could have a breakdown. Whereas the old breeds just don't have that genetic refinement into them to actually be able to feed them like Olympians. They're just It's a bit like you and me. I'm, I'm not an Olympian. I, I, I need to be fed well and I need to be fed a balanced diet. Um, and probably most of it, as I say, worked out to be a lot to do with gut health they're never going to perform like Olympians. So why feed them like that? And when we first started, we we, we started with one bagged feed. We didn't even have a silo. <laughs> and um, and then we started buying in bag wiener feed. And I can remember the wiener feed was so high powered form. We just caused our wieners to scowl all the time. And then we were having other problems with that. And it was just, we were then feeding them loose and hay and, you know, and it goes, it went all against the nutritional principles of feeding fibre to young animals that have such a small gut capacity when you're trying to get optimum growth out of them. But then when I really thought about it and I'm like, actually, we don't need optimum growth out of them. We need these as healthy animals. And because we were feeding them grass or, or, and fibre all the time, we actually need them to have the gut health that can deal with that. So um, we found out about three or four years after we were running that on average our feed was about half the rate of what you find in the intensive world. And that's mainly in our grower pigs. So if we've got the paddock feed there and we've got the cover, they certainly, I mean, they love it. It's, funny, it's the funniest thing to put pigs into a fresh paddock. They're just they're the funniest things to see. And, um, but yeah, so we, our nutrition is, we feed one diet. Um, I've been really particular on what goes in that Um Funnily enough, nowadays I actually have an. We have an animal nutritionist because I've not kept up with my skill base and my, um, you know, the new technologies out there and the new products. So we do seek the support again of someone professional in that in that um, category, and we have a good relationship with him. And he understands that. Okay, he might think we're a little bit painful because we have all these particular requirements, but I think he understands why, and he's actually be- a good customer so he he must enjoy our product as well so does that influence the quality of our meat i don't know is my answer but i'm pretty sure um there's something in our system that does and it may not be the supplementary feed It may be that um you know we're, we're aiming for here with our paddock management and soil management and the way we pasture crop is we want green feed all year round and we're getting to a point that we believe that when we're we, we're achieving that it does depend on the season um yes you know don't have rain or summer it, it gets difficult but we we summer crop here like we pasture crops so it means we sow into the existing pasture different types of seeds so again I explain that to customers like well um when you're in the vegetable garden you can't you can't grow tomatoes all year unless you provide it you know the the glasshouse environment so we we plant seeds that like to grow over those colder periods so a lot more brassicas and and oats and things and then we grow um some that like to grow over the summer the warmer periods so millets and daikon radishes and sunflowers and and you know the, um, the beautiful thing about our summer cropping is that the pigs don't really like the sunflowers they're quite a coarse leaf but it's absolutely beautiful to drive around the farm and see the byproduct of all these beautiful sunflowers. That are, I mean, they always make you smile.
1: You mentioned the farmers' markets and and also the restaurants that you're supplying to. Do you have any stories of um, experiences that you've had eating your own product and and the connections that you've made through these restaurants?
0: Absolutely. We, it was certainly again a whole new area of our lives that you know we'd never. You know, we'd always gone to restaurants and things, but to actually go to some of them, you know, knowing the chefs and them coming and visiting the farm and really understanding why we do what we do and and having that experience and then of eating that pork um, and knowing where it comes from, that real connection um and that's something that you know I think we've still got relationships with you know a couple of restaurants in Bendigo that we've supplied from day one so I think we're you know um probably 11 years on you know we're still supplying those same chefs and and the relationships and friendships that we've built with them and yes sometimes you know going out and and, you know, a lot of people used to say to us, oh, do you eat a lot of pork? I'm like, yeah, of course we do. We enjoy our product, but we eat a lot of pork. And you'd go to a restaurant and you'd still order your own pork because you'd want to see what they're doing with it and, and you know, what flavours they're putting with it. And and I still remember one of the first experiences, the first ever restaurant we started dealing with was based in Castlemaine a chef called Alex Perry. And, and um, he was actually buying Suckling Pigs off us back in the days when we did them. And, um, and uh, you know, we hadn't even contemplated delivering and all those aspects of supplying restaurants. And and uh, one of the first times we ever went over to his restaurant in Castlemaine was just a flavour explosion of, you know, sort of mixing, you know, Australian culture and Asian and just the fusion of flavours um, was just amazing and it was mind-boggling. And, and I think that just opened our world up to, you know, a whole another aspect of of our business and and as time gone on and and COVID it certainly um, you know was was probably was good to our business as in we've we do more retail now um, we were very lucky I think in the aspect that we had many eggs in in different baskets as in we had a uh, we sell wholesale pigs into butcher shops. Um, we sell wholesale pork into restaurants. Um, we have retail pork into farmers' markets and and some providors, etc. So when one of those aspects, being you know COVID, being very difficult in that food industry of restaurants, is that we were able to bounce back. Um, and now, the focus of us is. Um, Probably the other thing that happened in that COVID period for us is that we were up to probably nine markets a month and juggling two kids and them wanting to be... I still remember our daughter, Hannah, telling me... Well, telling a friend, actually, she got invited to a birthday party and telling the friend, basically handed them back the invite and sort of said, well, I won't be able to come because my mum and dad do markets on the weekend. (laughs) And she understood the reality of our life, but it also made you sort of feel as a parent, that sort of moment of going, the sacrifices that we all make for this business is now flowing into your children, which, as I say, there's the reality of life, but it's also like there has to be a work-life balance. And we had poorly done that for 10 years (laughs) and uh, had grandparents looking after children and and yeah always ferreting kids out to other people to help us get them to sports or birthday parties and things and again it was what we did but I think it really brought it home that um well we didn't have that work-life balance and the other thing that probably brought it home was we forever with the regenerative farming about resting our paddocks so um with the, with the system that we've in, incorporated here with moving the pigs weekly they're getting that disturbance they're fertilizing the paddocks and then they move on and that area may not be returned to for six months so it's the rest that actually helps the land recover and the plants regrow and you know that build up of all that organic material that's been pushed into the soil it starts to compost and things and then we reflected it ourselves and went. We never rest. We're never letting our bodies regenerate. And as we've got older, it's uh, I'll tell you, your bodies don't recover like they used to. So it became a big focus of Jason and I of going that we this isn't then we t- this isn't sustainable for our family, and it's not sustainable for our bodies, and we need to find a different portion of things. So we're now attending uh, three markets a month and we have a whole weekend off and, you know, we're really trying to find that balance. So we're here for a long time, like personally, but also the business because I think if it kept going, something was going to break. And, um, and then next minute, you know, all these small producers exiting the industry is just devastating and I understand why many of them are but it's the same point too from a customer base you know it just becomes limited and limited of what we can actually access so yeah we want to be here so.
1: You've built the most incredible brand um, from amazing farming practices what do you love about what you do? Um,
0: I think we're just so passionate about agriculture um, I remember going through the 2010 drought and we'd both, um, we'd been married for a couple of years and, and we'd got, well, it wasn't just a 2010 drought, was it? It was probably about 2010 assessing it, but it had gone for a number of years. And really finding that how we both worked in agriculture, that it became such a drain emotionally and mentally, um, wondered, you know, I, I think I questioned and went, well, maybe I should go and become a teacher or a nurse or something that you had one person in the relationship doing something different that was it could just isolate you through those periods and so we sort of seriously considered it and then I just went oh we both just love agriculture and I you know really I suppose Jason grew up on a farm um I'd always had connections back to farming and agriculture my my grandparents had a farm but it um it, it got sold off and We'd always had that connection with rural communities. I think that's probably what it is. I think that, that rural community, probably what drew me to agriculture. And then just, it's such a complex system. I mean, nutrition is such a complex system in itself because you're looking at so many different, you know, systems that are happening and processes that are happening through the body. But in agriculture, it's not just the nutrition of the animal. It's now, let's look at like what's happening to the plant and then it's what's happening to the soil. And of course that's so all affected by our climate, which, you know, is so much out of our control. But for some reason it it just it draws I suppose it just draws some people. I suppose it's like being a chef or being a nurse or a doctor. Like I suppose you can't explain it, but for some reason there's this internal passion that you just you just love it. And and you know, we're so blessed to be able to do what we do as in we've develop this system of being environmental farmers and really valuing our land and and building soil and having animals part of that system but also having customers support us to do that because they're paying them a premium price to allow us to do that and I just yeah it just blows me away that I'm so blessed that we we've been able to develop that brand and, and the system and, and as I say the customer base and the loyalty that we have with our customers to be part of our journey. And that I think that's the other thing is that we can't do what we do without our customers and they are. They're a crucial part of our journey. And many of them have known us from day one and and you know and have been part of our journey of seeing me eight and a half months pregnant still at a <laughs> farmers market and <laughs> doing farm tours and and you know, just that whole connection, uh, I think, has been, yeah, so important. Um, and, you know, I think many customers come to us initially, um, whether it's supporting local, I think a lot of our younger generation customers come to us because they want the ethics. And then they try our product and they just keep coming back because they do feel it is value. Um, you know, it is a premium quality product and, and, and has this, you know, taste and they're happy to pay the premium price for it. So we're very lucky.
1: Well, Belinda, it's amazing what you've built there and an absolute honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.